This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And pull in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. That's a little bit of Tyler Childers. And uh, this is the Tom Dupree Show. Welcome. We have a special guest today. Special guest. Commissioner Ryan Quarles, um, Commissioner of Agriculture for Kentucky. And uh, we're glad to have you here on the show today, Ryan. Good morning. It is snowy, it's chilly, but it's always a good time for Tyler Childers. Good Kentucky guy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Love his music. Love his music. Um, you have had a n- remarkable educational background. I want to hear a little bit about some of that, but I'm, I'm just going to read a little bit about it. Um, you uh, did um, – You let's see, where where, where was it? Um Triple major in agriculture, economics, public service, and leadership, and political science. Graduated summa cum laude with honors in 2005 while enrolled in school. Quarles took as many as 27 credit hours per semester and was on the dean's list each term. Now, that's that's getting some work done right there. Yeah, it's also uh, getting out of working in tobacco as well. That's yeah. the, the real <laughs> motivator there. You know, I grew up on a farm up in Scott County. I was blessed to have parents that support it my educational pursuits but the best education I ever had was growing up on a farm right it's common sense yeah common sense and uh i was really proud of my time at university of kentucky and the other yep. schools i went to but uh my mom was an educator yeah. and she at a young age she told me you're going to go to college but you have to pay for it yourself there you go and working in tobacco also motivated me to just work as hard as i can your primary tobacco farming family I- that's right, and uh, my family's been involved in agriculture since around the 1650s uh, in in old Virginia. All right. Uh, we arrived in Kentucky in the late 1780s after service in the Revolutionary War, and and then it was Woodford County, which is now Frankfort. Right. And uh, our family had a land grant, like so many other pioneer families at the time, because the U.S. government didn't have money to pay soldiers, and so they right. had land to pay for they- them. And so we ended up here, and our family's been intertwined with agriculture particularly tobacco, uh, for nine generations. I'm ninth-generation Kentuckian, and, and we still grow it right here in central Kentucky. Now, you know, that is pure. That is pure. So, so what we can really say, when I drove in the parking lot, I saw his truck sitting out there, and he's yeah. got the red Chevy truck. Right, Chevy. That's was right. it a Chevy or Toyota? No. Well, it was a Chevy, but we Chevy. have all kinds on the farm. We're mutts. Uh, oh, okay, <laughs> but it's got Ryan Quarles, Agricultural Commissioner, right on it. I loved it. I mean, it jumped out at me, but the point I want to make is you are a pure farmer. That's right. Nine generations. That's authentic. It is, and, uh, you know, I'm just really blessed that I had that, what my dad said, character-building opportunities growing up. You know? <laughs> Uh, on, on cold mornings, you know, getting up to stripping tobacco. Yeah. But, you know, 
in the community, the rural Scott County area I grew up in, everyone else was farming too. And sure. so, you know, you don't really appreciate these things until later in life. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it hadn't been for growing up on a farm. Simple as that. God. Makes all the difference. That's right. You have some remarkable initiatives going on in the agricultural department, and you might want to talk a little bit about some of them. Well, sure. Well, we started the show off talking about Tyler Childers. Yeah, I know it. He oftentimes wears a Kentucky Proud shirt. Right. And uh, that's our program at Kentucky Department of Agriculture. So whenever you see that symbol, whether it's at a grocery store, Farmer's Market, which, by the way, is open this morning yeah. downtown Lexington mm-hmm. uh, across the state. Uh, it's the most powerful marketing brand Kentucky's ever had, ever. Right. And we're going on almost 20 years now, and other states come to Kentucky to learn about how to market locally produced produce. Uh, that's a big program, and it's only going to get better. In fact, we're doing a concert series later this year in Louisville uh, with uh, Hometown Rising, one of the biggest concert series in the nation, and Kentucky Proud's going to be a major sponsor of that. And if you go over to University of Kentucky, we have a brand-new baseball stadium, nearly a $50 million stadium, right next to Kroger Field. Yeah. And at zero cost to the taxpayer, it's called Kentucky, Kentucky Proud, Proud Park, Park due to the generosity of Kentucky Farm Bureau. So that's one of about 100 programs right. Department of Ag runs. And, of course, we're, we oversee animal health, animal diseases. We oversee the hemp program, which we'll sure. talk about in a little bit. Right. Ginseng is underneath our program. Ginseng. Uh, we have 90 county fairs in Kentucky. Really? The state fair. Uh, and then the, the, one of the big parts of the uh, Department of Agriculture people aren't reali- don't realize is the inspection and regulatory responsibility. Nearly half yeah. of my employees don't have offices in Frankfurt. Their, their office is a truck. Mm-hmm. And on, on cold mornings like this or rainy days, they're out there providing a consumer protection role, particularly at the gas pumps that, that when you buy a gallon of gas, you're making sure you're getting a gallon of gas. Or at the grocery store, I tell people that it, if you were to buy meat at a deli, if you were to check out at any Walmart or Kroger in Kentucky, if you were to fly out of any airport in Kentucky, yeah. or even rent a backyard inflatable for your birthday party, Tom, uh, <laughs> or ride a Ferris wheel, it's the Kentucky <laughs> Department of Ag that plays a consumer protection role. In that um, inspection of the product and that sort of thing. That's right. That's right. Tell us what you really do at the gas pump. I've seen <laughs> your guys at the gas pump. Yeah. So, um, so what are they really doing? So they're making sure uh, that the measurement is correct. So what we'll do is that we'll do uh, an inspection of the gas pump to make sure that the meter is working correctly, what's being displayed is correctly. Okay. But also, we'll physically take out five gallons of fuel. We'll do each grade, and we'll put it in what we call a prover, which is basically a, a known volume uh, measurement device. And you have to be within such a pretty precise measurement so that the consumer knows that when you buy a gallon, you're actually getting a gallon's wor- worth, worth of fuel. gas. Yeah. Gasoline. Fascinating. 60,000 gas pumps in Kentucky. And our, our hardworking folks are out there every day. But we do the same thing with scales, uh, whether it's truck scales on the side of the interstate really? or even very precise scales. We have a metrology lab at the department uh, that, uh, that can really calibrate those small scales as well. So you guys are out checking those things all over the, all over the state. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I like to call it, you know, we get gifts 
um, from the legislative branch. We get yeah. the opportunity to work in these areas. And so uh, a lot of folks think of Kentucky Department of Agriculture and just think farming, but we're so much bigger than that. We're right. so much bigger. I've got a question about the gas pumps. Do you all check, you know, all the skimmer stuff that's been going yeah. on? Do you all yeah. check those too, the credit card scanners? Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. In fact, when I took office, uh, that was one of the first things I did is that we called up the U.S. Secret Service, and we worked with the FBI really? and other law enforcement. And so at zero cost to the taxpayer, we cross-trained our employees. And so while they're inspecting the gas pumps, it, it, they're also providing a consumer protection role of cracking down on skimmers. And we find about one a month. Each skimmer prevents between five and $10,000 of credit card or fraud theft. And uh, this, this past year, actually, uh, unfortunately, we caught more than ever. And uh, Kentucky's a target state, and I'll tell you why, because we have three major interstates Interstate, that, yeah. that roll through Kentucky. Uh, but the good thing is is that the gas stations are more proactive than ever, and, and the consumers can play a role. And just really quickly here, if you're at a gas pump, uh, if you, oftentimes there's security tape on the pump. If it's broken, contact the gas pump attendant. If you put your credit card into the machine and it just appears to be loose, appears that there's a part on the machine that doesn't really look like uh, – a part that should be on it, contact a gas pump attendant. Or if you see these locks, they used to be universal locks. You used to be able to go on and just like tractor keys, mm -hmm. they're not unique. You can buy a, lock, a, a key that works on the different gas pumps all across. They've they fixed that now. But if you see that any damage being done, just talk to the gas pump attendant. Right. What are some of the other programs you want to talk about? Oh, well, <laughs> you know, I can't go an hour of my life <laughs> no, without talking about hemp. Yeah, and that was one guy's <laughs> big I'm on. He wants to talk yes. about that one a bunch. Yeah, so there's a lot of opportunity here. But before we get started, yes. I want to remind our farmers, our producers, and the general public that this is a new crop. It's been sleeping. It's been yeah. laying dormant for 70-plus years. We were the number one hemp state in America uh, all the way up through World War II, and my great-grandfather right. grew it for the U.S. Navy. But the first thing i got to say is that Take caution. Yeah. There's still a lot of risk in this crop. And unlike other commodities like corn, wheat, and soybeans that are, have established markets, hemp is still somewhat little unstable. Right. But with given that precautionary uh, statement, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be on track to, to have over a hundred million dollars in retail product sales from hemp coming from Kentucky in twenty nineteen. We'll get our economic numbers next month. But this is an opportunity for Kentucky to be first in something instead of last. And here are just a few things going on with hemp. Uh, number one, uh, we have a lot of former tobacco farmers looking at this. Will it replace tobacco? The honest answer is we don't know. And right now it has a long way to go to replace yeah. our $300 million tobacco economy. But hemp is unlike other crops because you can use it for so many things. Sure. Uh, corn, wheat, and soybeans, tobacco, you grow it in almost identical ways from farm to farm. But with hemp, you could actually grow that crop differently depending on what the end product's going to be. Right. So, for instance, if you're growing it for the fiber purposes, uh, you're going to be using different genetics than you would for, say, CBD. There's an established grain market that's starting to get take off. You can go into Kroger today and buy hemp seeds. They won't germinate, so don't think you can go out there and buy hemp seeds at Kroger. But people are putting them on their salads. They're yeah. eating it. They're very high protein. Yeah, and they're, they're high protein. protein. It's, it's a considered a superfood. And that that's going to continue to establish itself. You can you can crush the hemp seed. It's like an it's like a soybean. It's an oil seed. Mm -hmm. You can use the hemp oil, which don't get that confused with cannabinoids. And people are using that to cook with, et cetera. And then the third category 
is cannabinoids. There's over 100 different chemical compounds in the floral part of the hemp plant. CBD is probably the most well-known. There's CBG. There's others out there. Mm -hmm. And this is a market that I think is just being uh, really taken off. However, there's still a lot of unknowns in the FDA, who I met with this week in Washington, D.C., has yet to tell us how they're going to regulate it. But about 90% of Kentucky's hemp is grown for CBD. It's a little lopsided. Right now. Right now. We are encouraging growth in fiber and seed. We have a company out in western Kentucky that's going to develop hardwood floors out of hemp. They're using soybean oil as the adhesive, so it's a 100% green product. Mm-hmm. They're still perfecting it. We have a company in Georgetown, my hometown, that's going to open up here in a couple of months that's using carbon extracts from hemp to put into clothing and textiles. Right. That have a, a low bacteria count, which has a healthcare purpose, uh, uh, you know, uh, opportunity there, conductivity, and so that's a product that's already being used in America. But the thing is, is that people just need to realize this is the crop that once thrived here. The market today is not the market my grand my great grandfather would have right. recognized. So just have some patience, be cautious, and don't invest more. Going to take a lose. while. Yes, sir. Well, what's so interesting to me about it is that if you go back to the, you know, colonial days, the revolutionary times, you were required by the government to grow a certain amount of hemp. The product was that important. Our first American flag was made out of hemp. That's right. Okay, now, so there's a little bit of pride there. But, I mean, the product to me... The more research I did, the more I learned, and then I got to ask you this, Commissioner. I watched a several TED Talks. Please tell me, did I was I drinking the Kool Aid, or were those folks really telling the truth about some of the uses of hemp? Oh, it's I learn something new almost every week about this crop. Again, you got to put it in context. It's just one percent of Kentucky's agricultural economy. A lot of folks think that we're the Kentucky Department of Hemp these days. <laughs> so much more. We're so much more. Right. But but if there's ever a state that can call hemp home, it's going to be Kentucky because of our, our history. Henry Clay. Right. Lexington farmer grew hemp right here in Lexington. Yep. And in March, on March 26, 1810, he walked onto the floor of Congress and talked about how we need to have a strong domestic supply of hemp and get off the reliance of the Russians here in America and buy American first. And guess what? 208 years later, Senator Mitch McConnell stood on the floor of Congress mm-hmm. on March 26 of 2018 right. and said, and actually had a press conference in my office and said, we need to have a strong domestic supply of hemp here in America. This is a crop that connects our past to its future. Right. There are so many undeveloped markets. And look, we're a big automotive state. We're the right. third biggest right. producer of automobiles out of any other state. They're already using natural fibers, but imagine the day where we can injection mold hemp fibers into plastics and other materials yep. and put those in cars. And, ha- and, you would, and these fibers are lightweight. It's going to increase fuel mileage, and it provides an opportunity to have renewable uh, parts into the automotive industry. It Mercedes-Benz and is it BMW are already using yep. hemp in their cars. That's right, and, and it's just a matter of time now. Look, any before anything goes into an automobile right. or to building construction yeah. materials, it's got to go through a lot of safety sure. things first, and we're going to try to expedite that right now. But, you know, the, I think the long-term market, despite some 
disruptions and glitches, which you probably have read about sure. in the media, is that there will be a long-term market for hemp. But, again, when you compare it to corn, a billion-dollar crop in Kentucky, soybeans, a billion-dollar crop, wheat, about $400 million. Our cattle industry is a billion-dollar uh, industry in Kentucky. Yeah. Put it in perspective. But this does give us an opportunity to be a, the number one hemp producer again uh, and, and reclaim our historical status. Just like in history. Yeah, so why did um, why did Kentucky get away from hemp? I mean, it, it's, it doesn't Great make question. a lot of sense if if the ground is conducive to growing it. And yeah, so this goes back uh, all through the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, hemp production was focused right here, actually in central Kentucky, in year 1910. Excuse me, 1900. 75 percent of all the hemp grown in America was grown in Lexington and the surrounding counties. Yes. So your question is, why did we get away from it? Well, it was a federal law. Yes. Back in 1937, Congress passed the Marijuana Tax Act, which lumped in all cannabis varieties, and basically it put a, a permit or a prohibitive tax on cultivating the crop that basically made it uh, unprofitable to grow. And there's a lot of controversy behind this. A lot of people, uh, there, I've, I've read many stories, hear a lot of tales, but the nylon rope industry just started to take off. Right, yes. And so this was a way to eliminate your competitor. Uh-huh. There was a brief uh, uh, hiatus from that during World War II where the U.S. Department of Agriculture actually issued hemp licenses. And I've met farmers in their 90s living today who have pulled out their hemp license out of their pocket, shown it to me, and said, I grew it. Yeah. And, and one of the funniest stories I've ever heard was a farmer down in Henderson uh, and again, this hemp was gr- was grown for rope, but he he was growing it for seed as well. And I said, "Tell me, what's the most memorable thing about growing this crop?" And he said, "Well, I love to hunt doves, and they never fly straight when yeah. they're when they're <laughs> on, on hemp." Oh, and, that's so good. And so we're actually trying to do an oral history project with yeah. with uh, our farmers. Uh, and then it wasn't until the '70s, and then uh, uh, Congress passed the Controlled Substance uh, Act, one of them. And hemp, again, was lumped in with its illicit cousin as a Schedule right. 1 narcotic. And so if you were to ask me a year and a half ago, Ryan, what's the biggest uh, impediment, obstacle in hemp production in America? I'd say being classified as a drug. That's it. Right. Uh, Congress changed that uh, with the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, our congressional delegation was great on this. They, they mm-hmm. fixed it. So now that it's no longer illegal to grow— there's other glitches, and the number one issue is the FDA. Yes. Uh, we need them to act. We're in year number seven of hemp production, legal hemp production in America, fifth year in a row now with CBD. They ultimately have the jurisdiction of how these products are going to be regulated, and so we're advocating for them to be nutraceutical, healthcare supplements. Right. There's also a prescription role here as well, but if you want to help the small farmer out in Kentucky. That's the point. And that's what this is all about is to unleash it, put it in the private sector, have a free market experiment. And, and as, as the government agent here, all I say is you can grow hemp. Uh, as long as you follow the rules, follow the statute, this is your opportunity. In, a, in America, you have the freedom to succeed or fail on your own. Right. And we're going to help develop markets. But at the end of the day, this is about helping farmers. But if you want to help them out, we've got to make sure that we don't regulate this crop to death. Right. We don't regulate the products of death. I want the I want the listeners to hear this because Ryan's got a lot to say, but they need to know these are just some of the basic outcomes of industrial hemp. So I'm going to read these to you. Paper industry, printing, cardboard, packaging, 
contracting materials, insulation, fiberboard, fiberglass, acrylics, hempcrete, hempcrete, a form of concrete. Doing my research, there is a bridge in France, Ryan knows this, built in the 1500s, still in use with hemp. Really? There is a house in Lexington built with hempcrete. Did you know that? No, no. It was built two years ago. It was a proof of concept. And, I mean, the industrial applications, I think, are really untapped. Yes. Untapped. But it could be a biodegradable plastic. I mean, that was one of the TED Talks I saw, and I said, am I drinking the Kool-Aid here? (laughs) A biodegradable plastic. Think about that for a minute. Big deal, right? Right. Okay. Here's here's some other industrial carpentry, netting, rope. Now, how about oil paints, varnishes, coatings, fuel, solvents, plastics, of course. Now let's get into the food. Hemp hearts, hemp oil, CBD oil, protein powder, the superfood like you were talking about. Uh, supplements, flour. Hemp can be used yeah. as flour. Body care products, soap, salve, balm, lotion, cosmetics. This one really got my attention. The leaves are incredibly absorbent. They can be they used can, in stalls. And- yes, mulch, animal bedding, uh, carpentry absorbent material. I was like, why aren't we? What? Come on, America! This uh-uh. is fantastic oh, opportunity. Uh-uh. It's time. And look, uh, again, we have made so much progress, so much progress, but it's time to do the research that we have to have done. And why not Kentucky? Why not have all that research being done right here? We have a number uh, top five pharmacy school in the nation right here in Lexington. Mm-hmm. We have a amazing College of Agriculture UK, amazing as well as KSU and five other state universities, and we have great medical complexes with UK and U of L. Why not let all that research be done right here in Kentucky? And again, be first in something instead of last. There's so many amazing products that we don't even know about that could be used, that could utilize hemp. Let's get to work on this and be aggressive. It's the foundation to save the family farm. That's, well, that's kind of how I see it. Well, we'll see about that. Yeah. Okay. Again, I, again, I must uh, preach caution here because right now your success as a farmer depends on your processor's success. There have been some okay. folks right. kind of We're going to learn about themselves. that and uh, get themselves kind of financially overextended. uh, But proceed with caution. A lot of optimism here. Got it. Like anything else, sometimes there's a lot of hype and people invest early on, and and then you have your winners and losers. And it's a startup culture. 200 hemp companies, brand-new industry. We know that some of them will enter and exit the market. That's that's the American way. It's a free market. And so we, we, again, tell folks don't have – the assurance that you may have in other crops because there's not a safety net or right. program. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Commissioner Ryan Quarles. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. You can set my house on fire, baby. You can turn into center and smoke. Hi, this is Tom Dupree, Jr., If you have your retirement savings in a 401k or 403b plan, your money is in a mutual fund more than likely. In a mutual fund, you invest with a group of people and you are affected by the group with which you invest. If they are withdrawing money while you're holding tight, your investment performance could be affected negatively. 
At the Prefinancial Group, we invest every account individually. That means each client owns his or her own group of securities, which is unaffected by the behavior of other investors. It is not a pooled account. For a free review of your retirement investment holdings, call the Prefinancial Group at 859-233-0400 and make a no-obligation appointment. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and DupreeFinancial.com. This is News Radio 630 WLAP. Dupree Show. So you got a doctorate at Vanderbilt. What was that in? That was in higher education. Uh, how, how was that interesting to you? Well, it was interesting because I had a lack of a social life. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, as, as the ad commissioner, I'd spend 70, 80 hours a week working with our constituency. Yep. And then I would uh, go to class on Friday nights and, and, uh, and all Drive day to, Saturday. to Nashville? That's right. And yeah. so uh, I, I finished that. It took uh, you know, four years of my life. And that was, again, back to my mother. My mom got her Ph.D. Uh, while I was in middle school. Actually, right. she got it at UK, believe it or not. Uh, we graduated college on the same day. She got, right? I got a master's in economics. She got her PhD. And I, we actually got to walk across stage on the same day at, at University of Kentucky. And, uh, and God, I, I miss her. She, she left us uh, years ago uh, battling cancer. But, but wow. man, what an influence. Even today, I think about her every day. Well, you know, one of your brands, Kentucky Proud, you make me Kentucky proud, Ryan, is, is sitting here learning more about you. So for listeners, y'all don't know this, but he was valedictorian of Scott County. He was class president. Okay, look look what he's accomplished. That's right. You're what, 40? 40... 36. 36. 36. But my hair is about 55. Okay, yeah, he's got gray hair. Experienced. <laughs> it's all that farming. But he is a Kentucky proud citizen he's kentucky for kentucky and that's what you're doing you're giving back to the state that's given to you and well, i love that about you hey i I'm, I'm just like the next person you know down the road I, I just love our state i love our country you know here i had the opportunity to uh, to grow up on a farm and and that was just such a pleasure looking back but that's one thing that unites us as a state we're we are a rural identity state Agriculture runs deep in our blood, but yes. look, I love UK Wildcats. I love Kentucky Derby Day. You know, yeah. it's the one day a year we dress up like ice cream cones and yeah. and and act, and act like we know uh, how to bet on horses, and nobody so really good. nobody really knows how to do it. But they take claim they they you know they claim that they know what they're doing when they win. Uh, yeah. But uh, and, and you know, bourbon identifies our state. Yeah, that's a huge driver. Huge. Love to talk about that this morning. And and the other thing is that you know our state is just. It's so much fun. We're a fun state. And whether whether you travel abroad and people ask you about Colonel Sanders or Abraham Lincoln, yeah. uh, it's just such a wonderful place to be from. I love Kentucky. It is good. Circling back around to that hemp thing, when we were during the break, um, the Jake Graves family was really instrumental in bringing yeah. the whole hemp concept back to the table and back to Kentucky. And I know you were, Brian, you were probably the spark plug that – in government that helped get some of it going. But do you all remember when Woody Harrelson came yeah. to town yeah. and got arrested because he was in possession of hemp seeds? And that was not that long ago. That's right. I, I remember that. <laughs> I think I think I was in middle school or high school, 
And I was just surprised Woody Harrelson was in Kentucky. <laughs> but, uh, but but yeah, and then and then you got the Gatewood Galbraith yeah. uh influence. Right. Well that was uh, the other side of the <laughs> Gatewood was a good guy too. Yeah, he was. The Graves family, and, and here's the cool thing about Kentucky agriculture is that it's, it's a family business. There's mm-hmm. 76,000 farms. Uh, there's 76,000 dusty driveways that leave up to a farm family, and the Graves family is one of many. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Andy Graves and I are really good friends. Yes. And you want to talk about someone who's been on this, beating his drum for 20-plus years. Relentlessly. Absolutely. Relentlessly. Absolutely. And so uh, it's it's a special connection and so when I go to uh, visit farms, you're really talking about family businesses. And, and guess what? In Kentucky, we punch above our weight class. We have uh, $45 billion in economic impact in our state coming directly from agriculture. There's only one industry that employs more people than in agriculture in Kentucky, and that's manufacturing. And we're yeah. a pretty big manufacturing right. state. Um, we're top 15 in corn, wheat, and soybeans. We're the biggest beef cattle state east of Mississippi. Uh, if you were to eat a biscuit from a McDonald's anywhere in the East Coast of the United States, that biscuit came from Kentucky. If you go to any Cracker Barrel in the United States, that sausage came from Kentucky. And guess what? I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're making for a pretty good weekend when we talk about beef and bourbon and sausage. Uh, horse racing. And horse racing. <laughs> yeah, compared to the other ag commissioners, I have a pretty interesting job. Uh, you do. But uh, the biggest peanut butter processing plant in the world. Is right in Lexington, here. Kentucky. Right, right here. And we don't grow peanuts. We don't even grow it's peanuts. It's amazing. No. And then you start looking Thanks at the— W.T. Young. Yeah. And then you start looking at the innovation going on in Kentucky farms. We're growing indigo for really? the organic blue gene industry in Kentucky. The largest chia farm, cha-cha-cha-chia, yeah. in North America is in Kentucky. <laughs> is that right? Down in Owensboro, uh, we have a lab, high-tech biotech lab, that is taking Kentucky tobacco plants and turning them into medicine. If you remember, we had an Ebola outbreak in 2014. Those vaccines were, were grown by Kentucky farmers, airlifted to uh, West Africa uh, from Kentucky. And right now, we're not sure what's going to happen, but there are there are some activity involving Kentucky tobacco in uh, research affecting the coronavirus. So, we oh, again, it's wow. too early. We don't know yeah. what's going to happen. But those are the sorts of high-tech jobs that people like Mayor Bloomberg or Joaquin Phoenix yeah. are completely oblivious to. And they, they demean rural America. They make fun of us. They over, oversimplify a very complex uh, industry that's responsible for one out of every five jobs in America. Right. Yeah. $7 trillion in economic activity is in agriculture. And if you want to be successful today in agriculture, you have to be proficient as a mechanic, as a veterinarian. Uh, a uh, soil scientist, you have to have an agronomy background, you have to be a marketer. And by the way, by the way, every family farm in Kentucky is a business employing people. You have to be your own CEO. Yeah. It's very. It's you know, there's another piece. You got to be spiritual. That's right. Woo! Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of praying. That's right. That was a, that was a good Ric Flair woo. There, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you were talking about the chia plants, the largest chia plants, farm yeah. in the in america you, you would be a great jeopardy guest question host <laughs> you know how they they come on and they they give some celebrity we put the commissioner quarrels on to ask that question sure I, I, <laughs> you know what else i bet he could probably win jeopardy as well yeah, wait, probably. got so much information well <laughs> useless facts you know uh, that's the difference between uh was it uh, the difference between uh, being book smart and wisdom is how you apply what you know so i, like I don't it. know about that I, I better, I'd rather be a Price is Right contestant. Uh, you know, 
uh, betting one dollar. Right. Ryan, talk guy. talk a little bit about the trade. That yeah. I know that's something we all talk about day in and day out in our lives. It's a big part of our business at the pre financial, following the markets. Yeah. So what's what's kind of going on with with all that now? Yeah. So a lot of updates. The Trump administration has been so aggressive and active on trade agreements. And look, he's been talking about this stuff since the '80s. If you go back and, mm-hmm. and watch him on Oprah. Uh, the man you saw years ago is the man you see today, and and I'm actually very optimistic about where America stands on trade. First thing you need to know, there's about 200 countries in the world. How many countries do we have trade agreements with? Do you know? I have no idea. Only 20. 20. Wow. And so the first thing to realize is like there's the, a WTO, WTO framework. I don't mean to get technical here, but the more times you can just have access to markets – the better off American farmers and American business is going to be. It's as simple as that. Gives a lot more flexibility and yeah. diversity to the Cause, cause again, trading patterns. We uh we are we outproduce other nations. Uh, we're doing it more environmentally friendly. Uh, and I'm not just talking about agriculture. I'm talking about the economy in general. Mm-hmm. But we are dependent. We are dependent on foreign markets. Eighty percent of our tobacco that's grown ends up overseas. Half of our soybeans overseas. One in four rows of corn. We don't liquefy all of it into bourbon. Uh, goes overseas. And so if you look at China, which gets all the press, mm-hmm. uh, and yes, uh, we just passed, uh, the, uh, excuse me, President Trump signed in phase one of China, which has a huge commitment to agriculture. Historically, agriculture is one of the last industries to be included in trade deals. The Trump administration has said, no, it's up front. It's going to be up there with automotive. It's going to be up there with, with, with precious metals. It's going to be up there with, with intellectual property. And so that's a huge multi-billion-dollar commitment from from the China market. Uh, however, the coronavirus has more or less mitigated yeah. uh, the effects of that, and I really hope we can get that under control because the world economy depends on containers. You see them up and down the road, sure. you see them on trains; they're piling up at the docks yes. in China. Uh, they may not even be unloaded, but the problem here: those containers are not coming back because uh, we, until this disease is under control. It's going to have ripple effects, and there's so many, so many economies, so many businesses that depend upon supplied parts from China, and if they don't have an inventory of that lined up, it's going to affect other businesses as well. All right, move move beyond China. Yeah, let's do the biggest trade deal in American history is USMCA. Yeah. Yes, and it provides a near tariff free environment for Kentucky agriculture. And 20% of all of our ag exports go north. They go to the Canadians. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a bourbon pipeline that goes north, and they're buying our, our goods. Mexico, very dependent upon our markets. Uh, this, as soon as the Canadian Parliament passes this, probably sometime in April, it's going to provide a re-up uh, of an opportunity for American farmers and, and businesses. Next country, Japan. It's getting very little press. We have a new trade agreement with them. Went into effect on January 1st. They're huge buyers of American agriculture. They love our pork. They love our beef. They know it's safe. It's a high-value cuts that they're buying. Uh, the Japanese are very affluent, 120-plus million consumers. They love American goods. Wow. And so this gives us a really good uh, playing field. So we're, we're actually um, uh, have been competing with Australians and New, Zealand's, uh, New Zealanders. Now it's American. American produced food that can come in near tariff free as well. The next country, United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They're okay. leaving Europe, right? They're leaving yeah. the EU, excuse me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll never leave Europe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> leaving the EU. Uh, that means 
that we have to have a new trade agreement with them. And they're big yeah. institutional buyers. Uh, they respect contracts. They love our bourbon. They love our racehorses. They love American steaks. This is a big opportunity. My office will be aggressive on the United Kingdom this year. We're going to be over there later this year. And don't, and don't be surprised if you see aggressive negotiating uh, efforts going on by the Trump administration with our friends overseas in the U.K. Last country I want to talk about is India. Uh, they're on track to be the most populous country in the world during our lifetime. Uh, they buy relatively little American agriculture. They're, they're very permanent-oriented, a lot of bureaucracy over there. Mm -hmm. They're making the commitments. They're changing the, their ways. They need us. And that's the, that's the overall uh, message I have, is that when I travel around the world, you say you're from Kentucky, people ask you about racehorses, yeah. they ask you about Kentucky bourbon, and again, Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders. Guess what all three of those are? Yeah. They're agriculture. They're all, they're all agriculture. Right. And so we already have such a leg up on other states. All we have to do is have the opportunity and chance to enter the free market, and that's what this administration is doing. Uh, we just want a fair playing field, and we will provide not only the necessary goods to other countries, but they want American agriculture. And at the end of the day, this is about feeding people, providing food that's safe and affordable, right. and lifting people out of poverty and reducing food insecurity in the world. Yeah. So I got got something I was been when I was doing my research about all of this, I started thinking about the area of Kentucky that is probably the most challenging for us, and that's the Appalachia, mm -hmm. Eastern Kentucky. Ryan, is there any opportunities agriculturally, you know, with all ag agricultural technology and everything, hemp is easy to grow. It doesn't require a lot of soil, whatever. I don't know my terminology there but could you speak <laughs> yeah. to that is there some opportunity in eastern kentucky there, for us there's a bright future for agriculture in eastern kentucky all right and, and let me just tell you a couple things uh number one we have greenhouses being built i've been working with app harvest for years now for years they're building a nine uh, excuse me a 60 acre greenhouse in moorhead kentucky they're going to compete Brilliant. with mexican produce imports uh high-tech high-tech greenhouses. We also have small greenhouses called hot uh, uh, hot tunnels or small greenhouses that you can build basically anywhere. And it's thriving and propping up the farmer's markets in eastern right. Kentucky. Guess what? We have 12 million acres in trees in Kentucky. We have a growing <laughs> bourbon industry. Yeah. All right, you know where I'm going here. Wide oh, oak. Yeah. That's right, American wide, wide oak. oak. There you go. And if you add in the fact that we are, we're known as a hardwood uh, uh, exporter, Eastern Kentucky, you can need to start thinking about these woods as fields. They, they just have a little bit longer growing season than mm -hmm. other crops, yeah, okay? But, uh, but if, you, if you plan for it long term, it's bright. The other thing about Eastern Kentucky is that we're a big livestock state. Actually, over half of our farmer seeds come from livestock, not not the grains, mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. is unlike our friends in the Midwest, those flatlanders. You know, yes. they come from those states to start with sure. high of the Midwest. <laughs> well, you know, beef cattle. Very proficient. We have a growing small ruminant population in Kentucky, and that's a fancy way of saying sheep and goats. Uh, we we have strong markets for that. And at the end of the day, every time we go to eastern Kentucky, it's a cultural uh, hospitality that they can export. If you go and, and look at the foods that originate from there, if you go and listen to where uh, – a lot of our country music stars come from, like Tyler Childer right. and uh, Chris Stapleton, all these folks along the country music highway. I think Eastern Kentucky can also uh, really work on agritourism. 
bring people in. If they're going to come in for the weekend for the Derby, if they're going to come in and, and visit our distilleries, why not spend a couple days in eastern sure. Kentucky, explore the great outdoors, see the elk herd, uh, go visit yeah. uh, Hatfield and McCoy country, right. and have some down-home cooking. And that's something that my office is working hard on every single day. I was in eastern Kentucky last weekend. I went up for a function on Sunday to Hazard, and I'm just amazed. And this is the winter time. How beautiful. Oh, yeah. The landscape oh, is up there. It real is pretty. so gorgeous. That's where I'm from is Harlan. Right. Is that right? Yes. And the other thing is that I grew up in rural Scott County, and it's the fastest-growing county in Kentucky. We're right. very blessed with the economic activity there. Yes. But it's not the small town that I once remembered when I was growing up. And I love going to eastern Kentucky because it feels like home. Yeah. It feels like it has uh, this politeness, and the people are so strong. They When they shake your hand, they mean it, and I yeah. love it. I love eastern Kentucky. Great place to be from. Well, Kentucky is a great place to be from, and that's what you are. Yeah. yeah. You're all about it. Ninth generation. That's, yeah, that's just amazing. That blows my mind. Okay, so we got to talk about this. Come on now, we haven't talked about medical marijuana. <laughs> yeah. I had a feeling that was going to come up. Well, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, look, uh, you know, a bill passed the uh, the Kentucky House. Uh, not sure if it's going to make it across the finish line this session, but, you know, that's up to the our lawmakers. But, look, we're focused on hemp at the Department of Ag. And, okay. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that uh, we have a pension crisis. We have so many yeah. things affecting our state that need to be dealt with. Uh, we we have, uh, have run a hemp program that's nationally recognized with zero dollars appropriated from the General Assembly. We are so fortunate to, to pull together, and often sometimes at the expense of other programs, to make hemp great again here in Kentucky. Uh, so we are focused entirely, entirely on hemp at Department of Ag. Uh, however, if that day came, where medical marijuana is legalized. Again, that's up to the legislature. Mm -hmm. We want Kentucky farmers to benefit and have the opportunity to reap the economic rewards of that. And uh, a lot of other states are dealing with this. But right now, given the limited resources we have, we're focused on him. Okay. All right. So there's one other major product. Poultry. Well, we've talked a little bit about poultry, but what about bourbon? Oh, Yes. Oh, yes. We're in a bourbon boom right now. Yeah. We like to call it value-added agriculture. Uh, <laughs> they Listen to this. Listen to this statistic. They gobble up about 8% of the entire corn crop in Kentucky. Really? And it's awesome. Uh, they, we were liquefying wow. about 15 to 18 million bushels of corn every year into our state's signature drink. Which, by the way, the official drink in Kentucky... Defined by law is milk, but our signature drink is bourbon. And nine million of those bushels come from Kentucky farmers. And oftentimes they're getting paid a, a premium for growing it a certain way. Maybe they're using non-GMO. Maybe they're using right. a historic variety. You know, yeah. uh, there's a there's a Jepta Creed in Shelbyville is using bloody red butcher corn, red corn. Right. Um, this is a revival of some of a business that we know it's been around for a very long time wow. <laughs> uh, or not, in Kentucky and the bourbon industry is strong and as they grow opportunity for Kentucky farmers grow and I'm just so happy to work a uh, hand in glove with the bourbon industry and our craft beer industry you got people like uh like Country Boy Brewery mm -hmm. uh, these guys I grew up with these guys yeah. Yeah. and uh yeah. and guess what 
the beer industry in America wants locally grown products. Uh, we have 12 commercial hops farms in Kentucky. Uh, hops used to grow here big, uh, mainly among, among northern Kentucky, along our German, historic mm-hmm. German population. And a little thing called prohibition put them out of business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're bringing hops back. The bourbon industry is strong. And, and so we like to talk, tell people that agriculture in Kentucky isn't just about raising livestock or growing crops, but it's also about BACA. Right. It's about bourbon. It is about betting on our, on our horses. And now it's about hemp. So in a humanitarian way, what about hunger in Kentucky and yeah, how you yeah. can make a difference? Listen to this. 740,000 Kentuckians are food insecure. Hmm. One wow. in five. One in five Kentucky school children, K through 12, experience food insecurity during the year, meaning they may not know where the next meal comes from. <sighs> and look, as the commissioner of agriculture, I take great pride in our farmers that are more efficient than ever. We're producing so much food, but yet it's so appalling that in a state like Kentucky, where we are really producing and growing excellence every year in our farms and fields, that fellow Kentuckians go to bed hungry. We're better than this. Yeah, we can do we better. Are. And so we started what's called the Kentucky Hunger Initiative, a first-of-its-kind effort that, that involved farmers from the farm level up all the way through our, our food uh, distributors, our restaurants, where 40% of all prepared food is thrown away each year. We have mm. tremendous food waste issues right. in America. Wow. It, it includes our grocery stores, it includes our charitable community, it includes our church community, which which is already serving vulnerable populations. Right. You know, some politicians uh, overlook the churches. I'm the exact opposite. They are they are so crucial towards solving problems. Right. And and uh, and whether you you are a man of faith or not, the churches provide hope for people. We included them with the Hunger Initiative, and long story short, we have changed the culture of giving. Number one, we found out that our state law was actually um, preventing donations of food because people were fearing lawsuits. Grocery stores were afraid of donating food because they're afraid that somewhere, sometimes, someone's going to get sick uh, from, from something that was donated. I said, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. And, uh, you know, I dusted off that old law degree of mine. We rewrote Kentucky's Good Samaritan Law, mm-hmm. and now Kentucky has the strongest food donation law in the country. Other states are doing what we're doing. Uh, number one, we fixed that. Number two, there is a lack of storage and refrigeration facilities in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. There are actually cases where farmers had leftover food. Maybe they had some protein, some beef that they wanted to donate, and these food pantries said, thanks, but no thanks. We don't have a place to store it because they didn't have a refrigerator, right? or the ones they had were broken. We had folks uh, come up uh, and offer, rise to the challenge, and we've had over 200 freezers and refrigerators donated since I've been in office, at zero cost to the taxpayer. Um, and so we were actually systematically reducing and removing barriers to generosity. And the farm community has started donating. Kentucky Farm Bureau, in one day, in one day raised $117,000 for our food banks and Hunters for the Hungry in Glean, Kentucky, and we did it by shooting shotguns and dusting clay pigeons. Had some fun. And the last point is that now we're having our commodity and livestock groups donate. We've had Kentucky Cattlemen's donate beef, Kentucky Proud Beef, poultry, which, by the way, is our number one commodity. Yes. Donating eggs and chicken. And, and, in fact, there are FFA chapters that have donated the prize-winning steer to my office. We find people to pay for the processing cost, and so now we're having high schoolers donate. Gosh, I love it! Uh, Hunger initiative, really cool. You're just you're changing the world, and I love it. One day at a time. 
Well, we'll see about that. You know, I if if it, if we end up affecting one person's life, you know, it's all worth the effort. Well, I want to tell you, you have your your food donation program that you've revitalized in this state has benefited an organization I love dearly, Shepherd's House. Yeah, we now get donations on a regular basis from Myers, yeah. Kroger's, Walmart to feed our guys. They are going through the program at the Shepherd's House. Thanks to you. Stay with us. Well, you've been with us. Yeah, you've been with us. It's been the Tom Dupree <laughs> Show with Brian Quarles. We really appreciate everything you shared with us today, Brian. Been great. Commissioner of Agriculture. Kentucky for Kentucky. That's it. Kentucky proud. That's right. News Radio 630 WLAP.